Welcome back to Butter With That, a movie podcast where a bunch of friends get together and talk about movies. We are in our episode, uh, or our theme ad, uh, fucking A. Um, okay. <laughs> we are in our episode uh, of Roommate Revenge, where um, Sam's roommates recommend a movie for us to watch. And we've talked about some really, really great recs. So far, and this week, we're going to talk about my recommendation. But before we do, want to go around the horn and see what people have been watching. Sam, what have you been watching these days? So I have been in the process of trading movies with our colleague, Ryan, and he had me watch Heat and uh, he was going to watch Warrior. So I watched Heat for the first time with Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer. I really liked it. Uh, I was so, so intense on Val Kilmer. I was like, nothing can happen to him or else like, I'll be really upset. So Uh (laughs) thank God. (laughs) Um, And, um, you know, I was kind of upset with the ending. I've got to be honest with you. The way that I thought it was going to end is that they were like both going to go out. Uh, but then when I brought this up to Ryan, he was like, but it, it had to be this way. Wait, wait, wait. And I was just like, shh, shush, you had me watch this. I get to have my own feelings. But you know what? It was good. It was almost three hours, though. So like, damn, it was a long movie. That is a long uh, one. I'm so glad you watched Heat. That final scene in the airport is so good. Oh, all right. How about other folks? What have you guys been watching? So I, I can't. I don't think I brought this up when I watched it a few weeks ago. But I watched Hocus Pocus one and two back to back, and I've never seen anything in the Hocus Pocus universe. Thoroughly loved the first one and really enjoyed the second one. Did I bring? Did I bring this up before? Is this? Or you remember my first time talking about it? I, you texted about it, but this is the first time telling the world about it. The mm-hmm. world. All of our listeners. <laughs> All of uh, our listeners. <laughs> one of my favorite lines was, what a bunch of hocus pocus. In the first one. Um, I thought they were awesome. And I thought the second one was pretty much of the same quality as the first one. Uh, and I'm saying that with like no nostalgia for the first one, seeing both of them fresh. Um, when Did you guys see the second one? I've not seen it yet. I have not either. There's some really funny moments. Tony Hale's in it. Um, always enjoy him. And it was fun. It, it felt like a good, oh, sequel after so many years. Like, we had a lot of those over the past decade. And this one felt um, very earned. Good story. Laughed about as much as the first one. So wholeheartedly recommend Hocus Pocus 2. And Hocus Pocus 1, which most people already know about. Well, I got to something new. I actually just saw it today, um, which as of this release will have been a little while ago, but uh, saw the Todd Phil- Todd Fields film Tar uh, that just came out. That being Kate um, Planchette uh, playing uh, sort of like famed uh, conductor, the first, uh, the first female conductor of the German orchestra. Uh, and that being... Uh, sort of all that I knew going into it, uh, I was really glad I didn't know more going into it. Uh, it definitely wound up without spoiling anything because Christine, I know you're, you yourself are looking forward to this one. Uh, what I was not 
expecting uh, in going into this movie was a very taut and dark character drama or character study rather that almost unfolds as like a modern thriller. So I found it to be a, a real knockout. One of the better ones that I've seen this year uh, by a pretty wide margin. So it's, it's definitely really up there and one that you'll probably be hearing about again when we get to our awards season. So if you get a chance to go check it out, uh, absolutely do so. It's a pretty stunning movie. It's, it's, I think uh, just under two and a half hours, but it really flies by once you, once it transports you into this world and uh, you get immersed in its characters and, and Blanchett knocks it out of the park. Uh, so would uh, would highly recommend Tar if you have the opportunity to see it. Yeah, I want to go see it this week. I, when it had come out, I was wondering if what's one of those movies when a beloved director who hadn't made a film, it had been like 16 years since Todd Field had mm-hmm. made uh, a movie. So I was wondering if it was one of those things where it's like critics are going to like hail it anyways because they love him, even if it's not that great. But I'm I'm also hearing like that it truly lives up to the hype. So I'm excited. Well, oh yeah, go ahead, Connor. Dave, <clears throat> Dave you almost said Todd Phillips. That sounds like that would be a very different movie. Uh, I probably would not house. have enjoyed it as much, yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens next year when we get uh, Joker 2, the musical. God. With oh, Lady yeah. Gaga as Harley Quinn. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be terrible, but when that trailer drops, that's going to be a wild day. I, it's I not going to disappoint. It's, it's, it's got no, no, no room for disappointing me after the first one. It's, it can only be better, I would think, but we'll see. I'm just imagining I, Kate Blanchett going down the stairs and tar if it was directed by him. Is doing the da. And then, yeah, instead of uh, instead of to uh, what is that song? Um, like rock song number two or whatever. It's, yeah. uh Instead, it's yeah, it's just classical music, which actually would have been a good deal more tasteful in either of those movies. But but the connection actually between the two movies, I'm pretty sure that the composer, the score of Tar, is the same woman who did the score of Joker. Oh, now that's interesting. This that cellist. Fact check me, uh, listeners and Dave. But I'm I'm like I'm like B plus positive, as in like eighty eight percent sure uh, that I read this. Well, that was one of the so, good things. One of the only good things about Joker. So there you go. Maybe yeah. Over the course of the episode, we can fact check that this Hil- and Hilder Gunati Torchy, the Icelandic musician and composer. I'm the cellist. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's her. Oh, she worked on Chernobyl. Too. The small world with these Todds out here, yeah. Yeah, right. She's oh. like, I only work with Todds. Only, only Todds. <laughs> she, Todd she, she is the composer for Tar. Yep. Yeah. The scene you got it. So, uh, so there is a connection. Uh, well, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing that movie. Uh, but a movie she did not score is the movie we're going to be talking about this week uh, <laughs> episode, <laughs> which <laughs> is our next installment of Roommate Revenge. Here is a rundown of what Sam's roommates had to say about my movie picks and the movie they've recommended to me as I talk very, very slowly in this particular soundbite. So enjoy. Welcome back. We are in our third installment of Roommate Revenge. We are uh, here with Sam's lovely roommates, Heather and Kara, who are going to, um, yeah, like recommend uh, another movie 
basically continue on the butter with that love it, hate it uh, assessment of my movie picks. So I'm dying to know. Um, I feel like I have a, I feel like I might know. <laughs> I think you know. <laughs> Based on Sam's assessment, but I'll <laughs> over to you guys. <laughs> you want to go? Oh, thank you. Yes. Okay. So, Christine, you really, you've really had some good picks that I've really, really liked, but you've also had some real goose eggs, my man. Like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's like you're on opposite ends. They're good or they're bad. There's like no middle ground for me. And it's like, <laughs> unfortunately, what I what I feel is your worst pick, Meek's cutoff, is really the litmus test for everything, and it it doesn't matter if you've had good movies because you picked that one, <laughs> and it just sticks with me. It was it's just whew, that one was rough for us to sit through. Um, but to be positive, the best one I thought was Singing in the Rain. I hadn't seen it since I was a kid, and I really, really, really enjoyed it this time around as an adult. Kara, your thoughts? <laughs> um, Christine, kind of a personal question. Are you a Gemini by any chance? <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> All right, because your picks gave me major Gemini energy. Like, it was that <laughs> duality. Like, like <laughs> Heather said, you pick some of my favorite movies, and then you pick some of those movies that I'm like, I, I can't. I can't, um, <laughs> but I loved, I love it. Um, I will say, like I said, you pick some of my favorites singing in the rain. Like Heather said, um, it's a classic and it's just been one of my favorite movies ever since I was a kid ever after. And then you surprised us with things like in and of itself. That was mm -hmm. a fabulous, I don't know if you want to call it a documentary or show. I don't know what you want to call it. Performance. Um, really, really great. Um, <laughs> in terms of the worst, I had one solidified until this evening. Um, I will say that Waterworld, <laughs> I'm not going to get those hours back. No. And, um, I, I would like to, but that's not going to happen. But then, and I didn't even make that episode because I had COVID. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't even, I watched it, it for watched nothing. nothing. <laughs> um, but then... I overheard, I didn't even watch, I overheard some of Prospect, and um, I, I gotta tell you, I, oh, <laughs> it was interesting. Um, so, you know, we thought that we would run with the, the positives of your choices, and yeah. Heather and I, I think, both agreed that. Yeah wholeheartedly agreed on this one. Yeah, that uh, the movie Austin Land with Harry Russell is going to be a fabulous pick for you. I think you're just going to have so much fun with it. Loki, we also just wanted to watch it again, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait. I've never seen it, but I do love Carrie Russell. And, oh, and now I'm looking at the cast. We got Jennifer Coolidge. Oh, my God. Yes, a queen. It's, it's a good time. It's a good 90-minute little romp into, well, Austin land, really. Yeah, it's, it's lots of fun. It's like and the best of Meek's cutoff with the best of ever after. <laughs> I do feel honored that the worst movie is me. Or like, I feel like 
it's something that that movie just sticks with you. <laughs> I was like, I I have a hunch that <laughs> yes, yeah. It's unforgivable in this household, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't watch it, so I have no clue what this is. And I now knowing this, I will never watch it. But I appreciate, you know. It yeah. it's also but taken it, you know. me several months to get the title right. I always called it like Meek's Pass or something. Yeah. I never got the title right because I just didn't care enough. No offense to the time and money and and talent that went into that movie, but oh boy, yeah. Um, I will say also with Prospect, uh, yeah, they were not watching it, just listening to it, and I always watch with captions on, and literally one of the captions was uh, "bone sawing squelching," and they were like, "Please, no more." <laughs> It was the line after that, though. Cre- cream the wound. Cream the wound. <laughs> oh, anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Not to give oh, too much away. Yes. Lovely, lovely. Well, thank you so much. Um, can't wait to talk about Austin Land. And uh, we will, uh, yeah, we're going to dive right in. Sounds good. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you. Thank you. And that was that. (laughs) All right. So let's dive right in to this week's pick. It is 2013's Austin Land, directed by Jerusha and Jared Hess of the Hess director, writer of Napoleon Dynamite and Nacho Libre, which Mm -hmm. I was super surprised that this movie exists in the Napoleon Dynamite Nacho Libre universe. So (laughs) (laughs) does it? (laughs) <laughs> in my mind, honestly, in my mind, this movie does. You know, I did see. It's like how I Joker saw... and Tar are in the same universe now. <laughs> yes. Jesus Christ. I thought I saw a vote for Pedro shirt in the airport. Maybe, maybe you're on this. Oh, I Heart Darcy vote for Pedro. They're kind of like it's all in the branding. I mean, yeah, uh, I think somewhere out there they they all exist in the same universe. So this movie uh, stars Carrie Russell, Jennifer Coolidge, J.J. Field. Brett McKenzie, and Jane Seymour. Always love seeing Jane Seymour. The synopsis, for those who have not seen it, is Carrie Russell plays a character named Jane Hayes. Of course, her name is Jane, uh, who is a diehard Jane Austen fan. And she ends up spending all of her savings traveling to England to find love. She's just broken up with a very uh, toxic boyfriend and decides to go to England and essentially essentially spend a week living like Jane Austen would have uh, or one of her characters would have in Austen novels. It's like a sort of a recreation, living history estate uh, run by Jane Seymour's character, Mrs. Waddlesbrook. And what ensues, I would argue, has more twists than a fucking M. Night Shyamalan movie. So um, it's... Yeah, it face. Yeah, it's quite a ride. So that's the short synopsis. Um, I want to just open it up to the group. I'm assuming Sam, you have seen this many, was, many times, before. many, many times. Mm-hmm. Connor and Dave, had you seen Austin Land before? 2013's I, classic Austin Land. I had not, but I do enjoy Carrie Russell. So going into it, I was like, oh, I like Carrie Russell. I'll keep an open mind. Yeah, I was a first timer to this thing too. 
So yeah, and I had never seen it either. And listeners know that I'm a big fan of anything period piece, uh, pretty much anything Jane Austen. And uh, I was, yeah, not surprised that this would be a recommendation for a movie to watch. I'm curious. So this movie tries to balance the elements of a romance comedy, a rom-comedy, and also kind of a farce. So the Hesses are known for sort of the farcical elements of a lot of their movies, like what we talked about, Napoleon Dynamite and Nacho Libre. To the group, how you guys think this movie um, works as both a satire or farce of the romantic comedy and also leaning into a lot of the elements of the romantic comedy. So this movie is based actually on a book of the same name by Shannon Hale. Shannon Hale is best buddies with Stephanie Meyer. And I actually think Stephanie Meyer was like a producer on Mm -hmm. this. And so I read Austin Land way back in the day because of fucking Twilight. I hate how like everything goes back to Twilight for me sometimes. And the the book is very much like this. So um I, I don't think that they st- they stuck to the 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 prose. Um and then I I, I say prose as in like P-R-O-S-E, but um I do think that it like the content was mostly already there for them. And Farce is also very much Jane Austen too. So I think there's a mixture of respect for the OG source material and maybe like a little creativity. I suppose I'll jump in and, and quite disagree with that. Um, uh, I may be the sore thumb on this episode. I got to say this, this became a bit of a, like a solipsistic nightmare where in trying to pay deep attention to this movie, uh, all I could think about was thinking about thinking about it, even while paying attention. And I think it's a movie that doesn't quite know what it is. It, it strikes me as a movie that proudly styles itself as a satire, but doesn't understand quite understand and grasp that satire is equal parts self-awareness in terms of how you're presenting your material and what it has to say about the source material you're satirizing. But it also involves awareness of the source material itself. And it feels as though this movie does not care about Jane Austen and her work or its themes. Uh, it doesn't really seem to care about rom-coms, at least not enough to subvert them in any meaningful way if it's a satire. So in the end, it kind of, for me, became a satire about nothing, which is not a movie that I want. So I, I kind of really dislike this movie, if I'm being honest. I I... I... I'm I'm not I'm not in the, the the thumb corner for this episode. I did did I really like Austin Land? I think I did. <laughs> well, Dave, I totally acknowledge all those points that you're bringing up, but this was just like a, I had a fun ride with Austin Land. Uh, shades of Westworld, shades uh, and like a whiff of the Santa Claus Three is like in there at the end. <laughs> um. I, I think, and a surprising cast, too. Um, Brett from Flight of the Concords was like a fun kind of addition. Uh, and I love that program from many years ago. So I, yeah, I think it's it's very surface level. And I think that's okay. Like, I'm okay with that. It was a, I think, so I watched Velocipaster and Austin Land back to back. And I had so much more fun with Austin Land. Because it just felt just lighter, breezier, moved a little faster. 
So I don't know. It was interesting kind of doing those as a double feature and coming away being kind of a fan of Austin land, which was, which I did not think going in. Um, and then of course we had a little shot of the uh, pride and prejudice TV show, which we did a whole breakdown about about a year ago, I think. It's always good seeing a little con for Mr. Darcy in there. So Dave, I hear what you're saying, but <laughs> I kind of let the emotion of the movie just kind of carry me through. I did think it falls apart at the end, unfortunately. I think um, the end is the only part that makes sense in terms of referencing Jane Austen's work. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, here we go. I think for seeing it for the first time, I think I began a Dave and I think I ended a Connor. At first, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to absolutely hate this movie. Only because I, when I see Carrie Russell, she's a wonderful performer. And I love the Americans. And I think that show just showcased the range in her abilities and like her being a supreme talent. And I think this movie just opens with a message that they're going to completely waste a Carrie Russell starred like movie and waste this material. And, and just to see her with uh, to being introduced as a character who loves Austin, but we know nothing else about her life. Like it, she didn't, she feels so dimensionless at the beginning of the movie. And she's just in this sad job, which could add dimension to it, but give us more of like her work life maybe even a little hint as to like what the relation. Yeah. It's like, she breaks up with this terrible guy who's just nagging her at the office. And then like, then she talks with her best friend who also gives given no character development. And then yeah, suddenly she like, other than her basically saying to her, like, you're a mess, figure this out. <laughs> Which is, is a, is like a fun rom-com trope, you know, true, like, true. you know, the best friend, the like, I'm going to tell it to you straight best friend. But like, I thought the best friend was going to come with her, but she makes new friends and that's great. But I would say the first fourth of the movie is not a great start. Uh, and I was very concerned. And then I think once we get to England and we get our Jennifer Coolidge, we get our Jane Seymour, things start to like loosen up. And I think by the end, I was just so used to like inconsistent tone <laughs> Of the, I didn't necessarily need a consistent tone, but like you have no idea what's going to happen in this movie. Like things are unfolding at a rapid rate and from all directions. And I think by the end, I was like, I'm along for the ride. And sure, this is the way it ends. I'll roll with it. Um, it it's funny that you bring up the beginning of the movie because I was thinking a little bit about Jurassic Park and where you need the first fourth of that movie before they go to the island to establish what Dr. Grant wants. Like, we have a Mr. Hammond. Wickham. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Mr. Wickham. Hello, Mr. Wickham. Um, and I think you have that time before the park, like, because the, you know, Jurassic Park, you want to get to the dinosaur island, like big picture. That's what you want to see. But you need that build up time and that characterization to really make those, you know, when they're, the terror starts. And so, yeah, we didn't, with Austin Land, we didn't have those character building moments that we had in Jurassic Park. And so, it does. Although I love when they put adults in braces to make them like 13. Oh my God. Oh my God. Right. The beginning. Oh, I totally, I think I had blocked those scenes out of my memory. Okay. So we do get, we get like this montage of her like life montage. in her life. But like you, 
like none of these scenes provide us any information about like who she, who she is besides the fact that she's just like a big fan of Austin. And, and so when she later, when she makes choices later on in the movie, I have no idea why she's making these choices, but by the end, I'm like, whatever, you know, like I, I was, I, I was rolling with it, but like, as far as character development, it's not quite there. (laughs) That's another thing too, that this movie needed and doesn't have is like, it says at the beginning, like, you know, there are several different type of Jane Austen fans. There are those who really uh, vociferously read and study her texts. Uh, there are those who are drawn to the Regency era. And there are those who just love Mr. Darcy. And she's definitely like the latter camp. Like there's no there's no real insight into what draws her to Jane Austen and her work outside of Mr. Darcy at all. Like she really doesn't seem like quite like that much of a fan. And that's really important. <laughs> what I what I thought the movie was setting up was that there are going to be different kind of Jane Austen fans who have to piece their knowledge together to navigate a social situation, a drama situation. Like it felt like that they were setting up, oh, she's going to use her knowledge of all of these books and she's memorized it all to like navigate. Christine, you texted like horror movie vibes, right? I think in the beginning. Dave texted horror oh, Dave, movie. That was, oh, that, that was early on, yeah, when, when we're just seeing all the all the uh uh accoutrement in the house right. of like the 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 which i do i do really appreciate that it is a cardboard cutout specifically of colin first mr darcy so that's kind of yeah. great <laughs> i don't know if i completely agree with that because i think that oh yeah i mean having a bag that says like i heart mr darcy on it does like suggest that it really runs just surface deep of colin firth but I do think there's an element of a lot of the heroines of Jane Austen in Jane. And I think it's very easy to see. I I think, you know, like what Jane Austen does so well and why she still resonates with people today is that like women who consume it. And and I'm saying mostly women, but obviously like anyone can like this and anyone can see themselves in these characters no matter what. But um I think that there is always an element of the character develops over time. I don't think the character really develops that much in this movie or in the book over time, but that's why she sort of starts out so surface level. Um, But still like you, you can see hints of Lizzie. You can see hints of other like Jane um, and and people like that too. I, yeah, I suppose I don't disagree with that, but I don't feel that her character radiates fandom is what i'm saying like she 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 can imbibe those archetypes uh those austin-esque figures in in moments and glimmers but like she kind of just gets there and like she's never just really uh, up until the very end is never really disappointed with this experience which is just a surface level presentation of the regency era without really exploring all that much about austin other than that like a mr darcy figure is there i don't know I disagree. I think she's been she I think she's exhausted by the thing almost from the very beginning. And I and I think that, you know, when you were like classifying the fans into certain things, like she's also Well, when the movie does, I'm not Yeah, right. She's also pretty taken with the Regency era. I mean, her whole like apartment is set up to to look like something out of that time period. And it's not all just specifically around 
Jane Austen or Mr. Darcy. So I don't know. I I totally hear that like these characters feel pretty flat and like stereotypical, but I I would give them a little bit more than than sort of what you're saying. I have no issue with the fact that she like whatever her angle is to Austen, whether it's the peer like the sort of set and of the time period, or whether it's just being infatuated by Mr. Darcy as a, as a character as sort of this embodiment of this like partner ideal or whatever. I find all of those compelling, but like the movie and a reason to, for somebody to go, like I fucking went to Scotland with my mom because she was obsessed with Outlander and that dude who plays, you know, what's his face from Outlander. And that's like all she wanted. But like, that was like her access point to then learning about, you know, the, the, the time period and also getting her picture taken with all these card, literal cardboard cutouts of fucking what's his name. And so like, I, I, that's so fun, but I feel like the movie has such great material to work with and to understand like, like where that fandom comes from and like how that's such like an important part of someone's life, but it kind of rushes it. What I will say is that once we get to England things start to get a little bit more fun when you meet the other people that are interested also in this living Austin experience. Like you get Jennifer Coolidge's character whose name is uh, Miss Elizabeth Charming. Everyone's given these names as the character that they're supposed to embody. Carrie Russell's character is Miss Erstwhile because she bought the bronze package or no, the copper package. She bought the cheapest package. So she gets like the saddest names. And there's, I guess, you know, a lot of like themes and, you know, Austin and class and everything like that. But Jennifer Coolidge's character is like the rich lady who comes and she's Miss Elizabeth Charming. She knows nothing about Austin or any of the books, but she's just there to like wear the dresses, which is awesome. Her character is a lot of fun. And also represents, yeah, like a fandom of, you know, of sorts who who loves production and and the dress-up elements and things like that. And then you also meet the characters who are like the paid gentlemen <laughs> who are supposed to be these like fake suitors, which is fascinating. And I think by the end of the movie, there's some there's some really good writing there. Um, that like deals with this bizarre universe. And as Connor points to this sort of Westworldy, uh, what's real, what is performed, what is alternate reality, which is a really interesting thing to think about. But it is so uh Miss Waddles Brook runs this estate where like women come to like live this Jane Austen life, and then these gentlemen suitors are paired with them. And ultimately it's supposed to lead up to a proposal by the end of the week. But, and so there's like a Darcy character and there's some like other sort of like Mr. Noble, some other sort of Austin men character. What do we think about the, like the men who are introduced in this, uh, in this world? I, I loved all the <clears throat> behind the scenes moments. Like, I think that's what I found the most fascinating of like in the swimsuits or in the sunglasses. I, I just, I kind of wish we just had more between them. Um, and I think that the movie, I think, you know, kind of think skates a lot on the surface level of this kind of idea of like, is it love? Is it not love? Like, and it's played up. It's a romantic comedy. Like it's all kind of, you know, played up. Um, but I think I like the ideas that it kind of touches on with this and the like, what is it like being like an actor in this? And they got the switcheroo where Brett doesn't actually love her, but he kind of gets, you know, 
it's like well of course the the peasant package is going to want to do like the things the peasants because she just has to like sit in her room while everyone else rides horses or whatever they're going to do so i I enjoyed kind of like her navigating kind of this world and seeing kind of like the actors in it i thought that was all all pretty entertaining i do like that you can sort of pinpoint which story or what person they're all modeled after. I mean, obviously you have Mr. Noble and Mr. Darcy, but even, even some of the others, I think that the connections are are pretty easy to see. I think the, the moment with the, the calf, right. The, or the, what, what is it? Is it a, it's a calf. It's like a, yeah. The, the baby horse, <laughs> <laughs> the baby horse. Yeah. Um, I remember in the movie watching it and being like, oh, that was bland. Just being like completely heartbroken myself. (laughs) That's the thing. So that's what's interesting is, so she gets there. So the character of Jane is obviously like a very much uh, a Lynn Elizabeth Bennett kind of character. Um, She's, she brings up pointed ideas or like, you know, so a lot of her dialogue at like the dinners are very much like Lizzie Bennett type of things where she's sparring with Mr. Noble and things like that. So like as an audience, you're led to believe that the ultimate conclusion is that she's supposed to be paired with Mr. Noble, who's kind of the Darcy guy at this retreat. But what she does is she ends up meeting Martin, who's the stable boy or whatever, the the hot carriage ride driver played by Brett McKenzie of Flight of the Concords. And he's also, like, oh. as far as early on, not as f- in our understanding, uh, a cast member. He's just staff. He, yeah. He's just staff. He's dressed up mm-hmm. in period costume, but he's purely there to drive the carriages and work the stables. And so you're led to believe like she's sort of like blazing her own trail. And she's like, Ooh, who's this cutie here in the stables? I'm going to like sneak out at night and like have some trysts in like his cabin while he plays the saxophone. (laughs) (laughs) And so he's kind of edgy. Right. So he's like, Ooh, I break the rules. Like don't tell Mrs. Waddlesworth because I've, I've got my cassettes and my saxophone, and I have my sunglasses. And so he's like, has all these great little like anachronistic things that like make him the bad boy. And so, yeah, you're like, ooh, they're gonna like pair off and she's gonna like subvert the Austin or the Lizzie and Darcy plot line. But then shit goes down where it's like, actually the the guy playing Mr. Noble is like secretly also are they they are having a fling how did you guys yeah as far as chemistry between characters who were you rooting uh who were you rooting for i would say two-thirds of the way through when you see that she's got competing suitors what teams were you guys on i was definitely team martin early on i guess because i so expected it to be that this actor embodying Darcy would ultimately prove to be disappointing in a way that would be disillusioning uh, as far as what you wanted of the experience, you know, but then it just kind of winds up being true. Like he really is that guy, which I find, I guess, less narratively interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I I think team Brett for most of it, Uh, it, this did remind me of love Island in a way of like how, as the viewer, how much of it is scripted, how much is it? 
there was like a little bit of like a, a like meta thought in my mind kind of going on there but i thought that was like a pretty um effective twist like of course like well of course you know kind of see that coming when you think about it a little bit but i thought in the moment i thought that, that was pretty effective reversal and then it would make sense why she was i thought it made total sense if she was like well you don't really love me like this is not how this is going at all like the airport scene <laughs> was something uh but I, I thought that from jane's perspective that made sense she's like now i'm done both yeah. whatever this is it, it, i'm done with it i thought it made a lot of sense yeah so that airport scene i guess you guys were saying earlier that you didn't like the ending is that airport scene included in the dislike of the air uh of the ending I, that was the part of the movie I liked. I actually, like, I got through most of this movie and then took a break, which I don't do very often. Um, But then I had, like, maybe 20 minutes left. And when I returned to the movie, uh, I feel like I had a very different attitude when it started getting rolling again because it started peeling back the layers of the artifice, the facade of this experience, the the machinations behind it and everything. And then it kind of ultimately becomes like this big blowout cathartic blowout scene between um jane and martin and um nobly nobly yeah all together there at the at the airport and that's when i think the comedy really kind of starts to land like these characters giving like given like very in a very interactive scene where they can really play off each other in a heightened way where i i feel by contrast the, the rest of the comedy in this movie is very middling it's just kind of like you know, the characters are their tropes, but they're not really given a lot of breathing room to break free of what's expected of them via those tropes. And then I, I, I don't know. I, I when everything comes crashing down, I think it becomes more interesting. I guess because I felt so, I honestly felt so little range in the comedy up to then. Maybe I, I do like the airport scene. I think it's just when he gets to like wherever she lives, her apartment. It's like. Oh, friend. Oh, get the pop. Oh, it's you. It's like, she was my aunt all along. My name is actually Henry Nobly. That gets weird. And I'm, and I'm a history teacher. That's that. That's what I meant. The part that I don't. Yeah, that's I think the airport not great. great. And she takes the guy. Because that guy was also in Austin land. Right. And he's she steps on his suitcase. Um, I thought I, I really liked the airport scene. I thought because there's so many terrible airport scenes and like romantic comedies, <laughs> like dozens and dozens where this was like actually one that was like felt like was kind of losing track of the right words, but one that just felt like it was funny. It like worked with all these different characters. It wasn't just somebody running to save her. And at the end, she's like, I don't need any, I don't need either of you. This is all fake. This isn't real. I wasted my money. I'm going back home. That's the big thing. That's like the one big subversion of this movie. Uh, as far as rom-com tropes are concerned is is when at the end and it all comes to blows and one is performatively expressing themselves to um, have feelings for her still as an actor, uh, as we find out in Martin's case, and the other guy who shows up saying that his affections are, are true and genuine, but because it's also muddied in this collapsing and, and, and uh, unraveling vision of truth versus fiction that she ultimately is like, you know, screw both of you. I'm going home, which is, is kind of great. I do really like that. Yeah, I think it, I think it was really compelling. And the, all the lead up to the airport is that the week is playing out and all of the characters have all of these different scenarios and scenes where they're like sort of um, interacting with one another and then interacting with who I guess they're, uh, who their matches are. And then it all leads up to the the big ball. 
And I always love Austin uh, stories where there's always the huge ball when either shit gets really complicated and messy or there's, uh, or the sparks fly. And usually it's a combination of both. Um, and so in this movie, there is a big ball. And by this point, everyone is sort of getting matched up. And then you have this great dancing scene, which I really loved when all of the matches are, all of the gentlemen are like proposing to their respective matches. Um, uh, Jennifer Coolidge is getting proposed to this other lady is getting proposed to. And then you see this sort of pained expression on Mr. Nobley's face and he sort of pulls Jane to another room and he's like, I really need to talk to you. And this is after they've had a couple scenes where they do a play together and there's like some like interesting chemistry there or something. I don't know. I was buying it. I was buying it. <laughs> and so he's like, I have to like, I have to talk to you very seriously. And he's like, I can't, I, I know you're going to leave, but I really, uh, I want to like be in your future essentially. And she's like, oh, this is like, you know, what everyone else is going through the proposal or whatever. And she's like, thanks. This has been so fun. It's been real, you know, like, I know that this is all an act. And, and then you're like, oh, as an audience member, you're like, oh, wait maybe this is, this is actually real. We don't know. And then, yeah, she like, uh, pieces out at the airport and she's like, I don't need either one of you. Oh. And then she, right. She finds out that Martin, in fact, in her exit interview with Mrs. Waddle Waddlesby or whatever, who's like debriefing with her. She's like, so how was your experience? And Jane was like, you know, I know my match was Mr. Nobly, but I also had fun with Martin, the stable boy, and Mrs. Waddle's work is like, no, 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 you got the copper package. So obviously you were going to be paired with the stable boy. And then she's like, oh shit, Martin was the actor. And then Mr. Nobly was actually falling for me. Oh my God. And then she's like, this is a clusterfuck. I, that was, yeah, I was really born because I was like, ooh, here's chemistry with both these dudes. I was coming to it. And then I was like, all, truly, all, can I, can I jump in real quick? Please, please jump in. I'm just rolling a mile a minute. <laughs> all with the backdrop of like, don't t- go to the press about the time you were almost sexually assaulted by. My okay. Husband. Yeah. This the is fucking a fucking assault. Okay. That just drops so it in. A, like it's nothing. Okay. That. Yeah. 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 Oh, right. 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 That was the meeting. It wasn't just a debrief. She was like, I'm going to report your ass, but like, the handling of something that's like a really intense assault by Mrs. Waddleworth's husband is just sort of casually dropped in there like like a some sort of plot device that means nothing else. That was kind of like, wait, 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 what's going on? And also the way that it all comes to a head, like she she's suggesting like, listen. I was very dissatisfied with this experience on several fronts. And in particular, because of this experience where I was in essence assaulted. And then it's like, well, I'm going to tell people about this. And like, that's going to be how this plays out. And then she sends, that's when she sends uh, Martin, the stable boy after her to like performatively try to soothe things over, which is of course, when um, uh, our Darcy stand in shows up to like, actually, you know, plead his case genuinely and all this stuff. And then at the end, when she finally, after she satisfyingly says, like, to hell with you both, this whole thing has been a mess, and goes back to her uh, her home, and the guy shows up, 
the one thing that she says is like, look, uh, because she imagines uh, this Darcy stand-in to be like going there to still sue things over. And she says like, look, I wasn't going to report it anyway. And she says it in a way that like, you know, victims of abuse, you're entirely within your rights to deal with it on your own terms. If you don't want to come forward and say something, that's perfectly fine. But she says it in a way that's very flip. Like, it's like, uh, that didn't really matter to me anyway, which feels weird and undermines the gravity of that, especially if it's going to be a central plot point at the end. It's really like very offhandedly inserted into the script. And you're like, wait, 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 what is going on? Um, My favorite line though, at the end, (laughs) when Mr. Nobly shows up and I was like, Ooh, finally we're going to see this character in like normal clothes. Right. I was like, Ooh, okay. (laughs) I'm kind of like, I'm kind of into this, like, knock off Tom Hiddleston, like, tell me more. <laughs> I want to see him in like a t-shirt or something. And then he fucking shows up in a suit. <laughs> you're like, oh, there's still, I, it's because he's a history professor as he then explains in this scene and that he hadn't ever acted before. And this was his first week too. So he was nervous and he wasn't acting and he fell for her, blah, blah. I do love yeah, the, that it's his first week. Just the whole like, it's my first day <laughs> thing. You know, it's pretty great. My favorite line though, he's like, I'm a history professor. And though therefore I believe in like history in the past when love was enduring or some (laughs) bullshit like that. Like as if to say, yes, in the past, love was more real and enduring than in the present. And you're like, what? Oh yes, you as like a white male (laughs) could probably assert this, but like what (laughs) is going on in that brain? But I was still, I don't know. I, I was buying it. <laughs> it. It's it's a weird kind of fumble at the end. And I was like, oh, we have this great airport scene that feels very climactic. We don't have a whole lot of like emotional through lines, but that feels like that, that feels so satisfying. And then he comes back and I'm like, no, go away. That's what I that's in my mind. I was like, no, leave. Why did you stalk her halfway around the world? I don't know. Show up hilarious. at her apartment. Oh uh, well, yeah, shows up with like hey, you left her drawing book, and she's like, uh, you could have mailed that, and he's like, um. Yeah, I suppose I could have. (laughs) Yeah. The thing is, is this movie was so from left field. Like, everything that was happening in this movie was just like, what the fuck? That by the end, when he shows up, obviously he's going to show up. And obviously he's going to have her very personal (laughs) drawing journal and diary with him. I was like, all right, sure. I love to that. Part of this is built upon, like, she gets a call from, like, that friend from the beginning saying, like, um, yeah, maybe, like, it wasn't quite what I expected. And, like, you know, if you want to come over and we could talk about it or just hang out or whatever. And she's like, yeah. She literally says, like, yeah, I'll be there in a minute. And then there's the knock on the door. He comes in. He has this whole confession. And then they, you know, set their differences aside and expectations aside and just believe in that sort of uh, alluded to, like, a, a grander past kind of love or whatever. And I kept waiting, like, as they're embracing and kissing in the final shot for, like, that friend to, like, walk into frame in the hall and just be like, oh, never mind. And then they walk out. I was so disappointed that didn't happen. I was so waiting for that moment. It, did that? Okay, I'll say that that, like, final kiss scene was, like, awkwardly long. I, I was just like, something is really weird about this scene. 
because it just keeps going and like the actor playing Mr. Nobly like doesn't know where to put his hands like (laughs) it's it goes on a little too long but whatever it would also be one of those things too where as Jane like having been having paid one's life savings (laughs) to be professionally gaslit at this retreat and and leaving with like the promise of like I'm gonna shed light on the abuses of this system and uh, your particular operation and he just shows up like plain clothes, like saying, like, look, I'm not an actor. Like, this is me. I would be like, ah, I, don't, I still don't feel good about this. Get it's, out of my house. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so weird. Everything about this movie is bizarre, but it is <laughs> just, you know, by the end, I was like, I really have no idea what to expect. Uh, but I, but also that actor Sam, have you seen the Northanger Abbey with um, with what's her face? Felicity Jones. With Felicity Jones. Yes, yes. I, I was like, I know I've one. seen this guy. I was like, I know I've seen this guy. And so that is a hilarious. It's a great one. Clusterfuck of blurring like a movie that's supposed to be sort of this like meta, like like Austin verse, and then an actor who's like embedded in sort of the BBC circuit of like Austin and Austin adjacent stories. And so that I thought was kind of a fun little like, wait, what? Like, oh, this guy. Yeah, I've seen him before. That's actually really interesting. Side note, Northanger Abbey is my favorite of the movies that they've made. Um, if you ever get a chance to watch it, please do. I think for those of you who have my Amazon password, I have it. <laughs> so watch it. Yeah, it's good. It's so Austin. That was Austin land. Westworld meets. Christine, we we missed. We I... haven't talked about the final like five minutes of the movie of what Jennifer oh, Coolidge. Okay. okay here's the, the deal. Land. Unfortunately, I didn't see the dance sequence. So like my internet cut out. I was watching the, I get terrible internet in my room and I was like in my bed, just like watching this rom-com or whatever. And then my internet goes out right when the movie ends. I'm like, okay, well, it's at the credits. So like whatever. And then I, maybe I was reading like trivia about the movie or something. There's some, oh no, no. I was reading Google reviews and they're like, oh, Make sure you don't turn it off before the credits because it's a great dance sequence. So I still haven't seen it. Well, I, I was referencing the oh. theme park that Jennifer Coolidge turns Austin Landon. Oh, oh, oh! You were yeah, yeah. So I did see that part. I did see that part. That's that, a, that's, that's, a fun that's where there's a, that's where there's a whiff of the Santa Claus Three where Martin Short as Jack Frost in the alternate timeline um, turns the North Pole into like a Disneyland. Thing. And I love that it just turned into a big county fair and Jennifer Coolidge is American, knows nothing about Austin land, just buys it because she loves it, and then turns into a huge amusement park and makes it more popular than ever. Uh yeah. Her her character is is pretty fun to watch. Sort of one note, but like Jennifer Coolidge mm-hmm. is just doing her thing. Uh did you get so though, yeah. yeah, we do. And it, it's like um Mike White basically just saw Austin Land and was like, I'm just going to rewrite Jennifer Coolidge's character and stick her in the White Lotus. Because <laughs> it's, it's like basically the exact same character. She's, uh, she's, she's filled those shoes before, yeah. Yes, she fills them yes, well, yes, but yes. she's filled them before. Yeah, Best yeah, show, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, right. She's always playing the like rich lady, yeah. 
I feel like I came down pretty hard on this one. And I do have to say that there were some things that were kind of great. I, I was a really big fan of um, the performance of uh, James Callis, who plays uh, Colonel Andrews. I think he he quite understood the assignment. Um, also really liked uh, uh, Georgia King, uh, who's playing Lady Amelia Hartwright. Does a really good job of embodying the kind of like more snobbish and upper crust uh, Jane Austen archetype. Um, while also bringing like a pretty cool, like inconsistent, but like uh, interestingly inconsistent characterization to, to that role and has some like very heavy, like, I don't know if it's just me, but very heavy, like Anna Ferris energy, which I'm always here for. So, uh, some, some really, some cool performances to be found here, I'd say. And when she kept saying we're bosom buddies, she said it like five <laughs> times. That that just got me every time. And the big reveal at the very end when they're going away in the carriage, which is just like, uh, she starts speaking in her uh, naturalized American accent. And it's just like, oh, you're not British? It's like, no. And then her the last thing that she said right before it cuts away is just her like, it's a, like an awkward pause in the, in the like lull of the conversation. She's just like, almost to herself, is just like, my husband's old. Yeah, he's really <laughs> old. <laughs> That one got me really good. <laughs> and so Georgie King is actually British. So the fact that they had her pretend oh, wow. to be British and then be American, um, she does have that Anna Ferris energy. She was actually in an episode of Merlin, the BBC show that I loved. And her character, oh gosh, I can't remember what it is. It's like right there. Anyway, um, is like possessed by um, some kind of weird creature that makes her like super clumsy. Is she in any like uh, like Austin or like BBC shit? She looks really familiar. I'm not sure other than Merlin, but she was in a, a show where she was like playing the surrogate mother. God, what was that show called? To to, whatever anyway it was a show what about on, i forget what it's called yeah yeah what the hell is it anyway whatever i i can look it up um but yeah yeah so that was austin land uh, i love how this was also okay so 2017 carrie russell was like mid the americans mm. oh 2013 oh, okay 30. no no velocipaster was 20 okay so this was <laughs> this was just about to be the Americans, which is hilarious, because um, I only see Carrie Russell as Elizabeth in that. Anyhow, um, yeah, thanks for going on this Austin Land ride. Watch it. Let us know what you think. Send us an email. And uh, I will say that watching this reminded me of the game that we play, the Austin board game uh, that like takes you through the twists and turns and who dies as an old maid. I did enjoy like the kind of gamification of the whole universe as well. Wait, what? Through this movie. It's a game called Marrying Mr. Darcy. It is one of the, the best games. So you pick a character from Pride and Prejudice, um, like a female heroine, and then your job is to marry the person that that character ends up with in the in the book. Um, you have to like amass certain amount of character points. And there, if you have like Darcy, let's say, Darcy doesn't care about dowry. He doesn't care about beauty. All he wants is wit. And you have 
have to get enough wit so that you can be uh, eligible for him in the second stage, the proposal stage. But if you don't, or you don't roll the right number to to have the guy propose to you, become an old maid. <laughs> I think I died the old maid when I played. <laughs> oh, this sounds kind of great. It's, it is. It's a lot of fun. So I feel like this movie is is a bosom buddy, so to speak, uh, to the game. Uh, so play the game, watch the movie, send us a fucking email, please. <laughs> and check us out on the socials. Check out our uh, awesome movie John brethren and uh, have a good whatever. We will catch you next week. Release the hounds. Not- Tally-ho. <laughs> Tally-ho. Oh, um, the British are coming. The British are coming. <laughs> um, wait, in uh, the Gay Mary in New Jersey, they have a zombie, uh, the undead uh, expansion pack, and you get weapons, and the only way your weapons work is as you're rolling, you yell things. And one of the things you can yell is tally-ho, and it adds like a plus one, or and with my axe, it's very... It's so good. So we're going to be playing this soon. (laughs) Sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. This has been a Movie John podcast.